Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional, a sales leader, or just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. Join us today as we take a few swings at the topic of sales with former golf pro and current CEO of MDF Coaching and Consulting, Matt Ferguson. The creator of the ATM method, the successful sales leader turned business owner dives deeply into how clarity and coaching can drive massive gains within sales organizations. Let's get this started. Hey, everybody. Well, welcome back to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. I am super excited to have a good friend and colleague on here, Matt Ferguson. Matt, it's a great, it's great to see you, my man. Hey, good to see you again. You still uh still cold in Ohio? <laughs> no, by now it's warmed up, man. We're we got uh we got some sunshine, we got the flowers poking up. We're done with the Ohio winter. You know, I grew up in Cleveland, so sometimes it can be bad until June. So hey, you know what they say about the Midwest is you don't like the weather, you wait how long? Uh, yeah, just wait, wait an hour, wait an hour, especially about Cleveland, man. You got the lake effect. You got all that stuff. Yeah. Matt and I are fellow, uh, Akron Clevelandites, uh, from back in the day. So 1990s Cleveland, Ohio respect. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, what do you, what, before we get started, um, what do you want people to, uh, to know about you, Matt, before we kick this thing off? That's, that's an interesting question, but Part of, part of my mission is, you know, and I know we're going to talk about sales a lot. And I think a lot of people end up in sales by accident, almost. You know, they, they get out of college and they, they can't really find, they don't really know what they're going to do. And they, they fall into this job. I mean, I find a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. And then you actually, you get good at it. You know, you, you get good at it. And then somebody comes to you and be like, hey, do you want to be promoted into management? Be like, yeah, sure. That that seems cool. Like I'll be able to manage other people. And then you kind of get into the role and it's like, holy cow, now what am I supposed to do? And I found myself in that exact situation. I didn't, I never, I was a golf pro, right? That turned into a sales professional just because by accident, I found out how much somebody was making and they asked me if I wanted to get into sales. And then I found myself into this position and I liked it and I was good at it. And then I got into leadership and I was horrible. And I think a lot of people find themselves in this situation because there's not a lot of tra- not a lot of training when you get promoted. So mm-hmm. like that's kind of my mission is to help those people transition, you know, into the rest of their career. Let's start with a baseline. And so People that are listening to the program frequently are going to know that we start with this baseline. Going from a golf pro to sales, like what, what is your definition of sales? What is that to you? Here's what I think it is. But I think, by the way, I think sales gets a bad rap. And I've had this discussion before. Mm-hmm. But when I think of sales, okay, I think of does somebody 
I'm talking to somebody, okay? And during a conversation, a lot of people call it discovery. I find a problem and can I help? Does my solution help their problem? Like, can I make their life easier? That literally is my definition of sales. But I think, well, I know, I've worked for companies where sales is like a bad word. No joke. Yeah. So like, I'll put together like a presentation. I'm going to, I'm going to present to the, the whole company or whatever. And I've had a president or somebody come to me and say, Hey, you know, that's a little too salesy. I think we should take that out. And I'm like, I'm about as less salesy a person as there is. How are we even, (laughs) how is it that like that bad? But when you think about it, somebody said this to me, besides, I live in Arizona now, but they looked and, and besides for the mountains, right? Everything around us has been sold, right? Somebody sold it to somebody. But like, that was, that's a good point when you think about it. In Phoenix, that's an amazing point because it's yeah, absolutely right. true. I mean, 100% from the billboards to the strip malls to everything. The grass, I mean, the the houses, the streets, like everybody sold something to like, and and I was like, that is, that's a, that's a great point. But I think, I think salespeople, they just get a bad rap sometimes. I came into the industry probably when the, the S word, right. started to fall out of favor. And so I, I became a business development executive and then I became, you know, <laughs> this, and, and, and I was, I was in that part of the industry where, you know, when people did, it was, and it still is, it's it probably, I don't know, to me, it happened like in the early two thousands where, and maybe it was way before that, where it, it happened and the sales became a dirty route, but that's when I first experienced it. Right. And, and I was just, I just always wondered like, why don't we just call ourselves, you know, sales executives, sales reps, sales? And oh, you can't say that. It's the S word, you know. To your point. So, so here's an here's an interesting take on this topic. I was on Scott Lee's and Richard Harris's podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about a similar thing. Richard Harris had a great take. And by the way, I've never read the book, so I don't know what's said in the book. But have you ever read? I think he. I think it was Grapes the Rat. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He says that there is like a sleazy car salesman or something in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So his, his take was because everybody has to read that book in high school, I guess everybody except for me, right? <laughs> like did that give sales like a bad word? And I, I just, I just thought that was an interesting take because I've never heard it before. That actually makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. They still get, cause you do, you get, Look at car places that they've absolutely changed. Most of them have absolutely changed all the practices that have once made them sleazy, right? You know, right. Arvana. I mean, what is the big used car place with the, it's blue. Um, I bought a couple of cars there. Anyhow, the blue and gold uh, used car lot. That's, that's, you know, the no haggle pricing, all those things that they're trying to, to actually be good at their gig. Right. And make that a system and a methodology to actually try and improve one of the interesting things I'm finding, and when I ask that question, is I have never once, from a sales leader or a successful salesperson, heard sales is uh, heard the basis of that fundamental misrepresentation of sales, which is 
I'm going to do anything to get you to part with money to give to me. Right. I've never heard, I mean, that's never even been a part of anybody that talks about sales excellence. Matter of fact, money doesn't come up in this term most of the time. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, because it is a profession of, that we're exchanging goods and services, but the great ones generally don't think about as like a get rich quick or a cash cow or, 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 the, or the money. What, why is that? Because I think the people that understand it the most understand it has nothing to do with you, right? It has nothing to do with you or the product that you're selling. And that takes the money out of it. Okay. So when, when I think about like the demo process, which is, oh, let's, let's, let's do the demo. Let's do this and that. Like the demo is all about you. Right. But, mm-hmm. and how many times, how many calls have you listened to in your career where the rep actually does a good job in discovery? Matter of fact, the rep heard everything that you'd ever want to hear in a phone call. Right. Here's the problem. Oh my God. Here's, and then they go into the demo and they talk about 32 other things that don't matter to the customer. Right. It's just like, you know, if you just would have talked about this and how it helped their problem, do you see where you lost them here? And then people get confused. And, you know, it, it, it probably was a thing where people could help each other out, but they don't because they want to focus on hitting all their steps to the demo. Yeah. Right. The good, the, to me, the great ones, they know, I mean, nobody really cares about your product, right? It's just like, Hey, do you really think you can help me or not? It's become, you know, and, and for listeners, you hear this theme, like you hear this again and again, and it's because it's the truth. And especially for young. So for a young salesperson, I'd, I'd love it if you tell your journey into sales and your journey into that realization, because I think that would be really helpful because that whole idea, especially Especially now, as we need to be, we have to get more advisory rather than less. We have to be able to understand the the business problems more rather than less these days. I mean, so, and that is so critical for anybody that wants to get into the profession. So, drive into your journey a little bit because I think it's a really cool one, and I think people can learn from it. I was a golf professional, as I said, met one of my old members in Vegas. Met God, this had to be exactly probably 12, 13 years ago now, because it was during March Madness, which was NCAA tournament time. Mm-hmm. And they were won the about championship that year. Have no idea. <laughs> I can never, I'd like, who won it last year? It's so weird. Yeah. I can't even remember who won it last year. And uh, they were talking about how much money they made. And I was like, Jesus, you're not that smart of a guy. If you make that much money, I mean, I, if I'm, if I'm made half of that, I'd be happy, you know? So I, so I take this sales job and four months in the office went from 50 people to 12 and they were basically moving out of Phoenix. Right. So I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I gave up my golf career to, you know, get into a company with that's left now, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. I went and got another job with a startup and we, guess what we did? We did a demo. Okay. And mm-hmm. I would get on and I would a- answer a couple questions and then I would go through the demo. And my boss at the time was like, Hey, you know, you, you obviously can do the demo. You can do it this, but your discovery is terrible. And I'm like, well, what do you mean discovery? Like, I didn't know anything, you know, you, you mm-hmm. know? and he's like, well, 
you know, you should just make it all about them and how you can help them. Right. And what I, what I noticed is if you can really get to the problem of the person you're talking to, right. Like really the problem, most people don't do that. Right. They go, they go through the check, the, the checklist of, Hey, did I ask this question? Did I ask this question? Did I ask this question? Did I do this on the demo? Like, did I do everything? And you're just like every other rep. So I would say the the thing that made me different as a rep, and by the way, this got me in trouble sometimes, but I would say less than than others, is Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make myself memorable and different from everybody else that they were going to talk to, right? And then you're going to win more deals than you're going to lose doing it that way. Because you you talk to reps, you listen to reps all the time. They all sound the same for the most part. Mm Mm-hmm. But like when you learn, like how do you <clears throat> two things? How do you add value on the call? But the first thing, just for young reps too, you got to see yourself on an even playing field with the person that you're talking to. <clears throat> yes, I actually, Paul. Now that I think about it, that's the biggest difference right there. Is think about all the rejection you go through as a young rep just to get a meeting. And then the person shows up and you're like, oh my God, I'll do anything I can to get a sale. That's just not the right way to get a sale. So, <laughs> Please, I'll say anything. Just don't leave me. Yeah, just don't leave. I'm sorry. Just don't I leave can me. Do that. I promise. I can do that. I can do that. Right. You just want to say you can do everything. When you see yourself on an even playing field and somebody says something to you, you go, no, no, we don't, we don't do that. You know, we, we focus on over here. I don't know. That was probably the biggest difference for me. That's awesome. So you you hit you started hitting that out of the park with the uh, with the startup, and then is that where you got like when did you get moved into leadership and, and that type of stuff and make that transition? I got so I was there top rep there year and a half in, and then moved made the transition into into leadership, wow. and I was not good. Why do you, why do you say that? <laughs> well, I, I've had, I have a similar story, but yeah, tell me yours. Why is that? I actually, I had a great boss. He's still my mentor to this day. Okay. But mm-hmm. as you know, in, in a startup, he was wearing 457 different hats. Yeah. Okay. So I think he, he, he kind of, kind of let me go right. And do what I wanted to do. He knew I could trust him. He knew I could close and you know, I could, well, I think he thought I could, you know, coach other people. But my biggest problem was I was subjective and I was emotional. And I think that's probably two of the worst things you can be as a manager because he 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 was the exact opposite, right? He was a, he was the most unemotional person still to this day, you know, that I know. Am I ever going to be that like him? No, but I definitely improved. But I think the biggest thing you can do, especially when you're making that transition from, you know, top individual contributor or individual contributor and then promoted into management is you got to make everything kind of objective. So you actually know what you're doing, where you should spend your time and then try and take as much of the emotion as you can out of it. That sounds easier said than done. Like uh, walk me through, walk me through some of the things, like how, how do you do that? Like what are some of the things that you use personally? So I'm big on, I'm big on data, 
and I didn't used to be. Okay. But I kept getting proven wrong. <laughs> I was, comp- I was constantly on the wrong side because I did believe that subjective was the right way. Mm-hmm. And I had not only that bus, but my, the CEO of that company, cause my mentor ended up leaving. He was the most black and white engineer type CEO you can ever imagine. And I can promise you, we did not get along. Mm-hmm. And I can still remember to this day, we used to have a standup. We used to have the standup for people. We called it like the, the four people at the table in the company. And we'd have a 15 minute standup every day. And we had walked in on vacation off of, it was January 6th. Okay. And CEO, our revenue was terrible. Like it, 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 it happened because it was New Year's. It was on the weekend. Like it was like the, the perfect storm. And he's like, hey, what's the number going to be on March 31st? And we all looked at each other like, what? You know? Mm-hmm. And I gave him 752 different reasons why we shouldn't know that. And he was like, no, no, you, you guys can figure that out. You know, you, you can, you know, looking at metrics and things like that, you can be able to predict the, you know, predict the revenue. And it took us a couple months, but the rest of that year and the rest of the time we were there, we could get within five or 10% of the number just by figuring out, you know, what KPIs are important, what leading indicators are important to what your final number was. But I had to get proven wrong a lot to be able to believe that that was true. You're like me, like, uh, I'm a blunt instrument. So I have to, I have to hit my head against the wall, like a a fair number of times before it, before it, uh, sinks in. Uh, so I'm glad I'm not the only one. So you took that experience then and tell me how you take, I've seen some of your posts. Well, heck I've seen, that's how we got. That's how we got uh, connected. I just I got really connected with your your posts on LinkedIn and really loved your content. But you're taking you're taking this concept and passion of then empowering others to be able to make that transition and do that transition well. And you formulated something called the ATM approach. So do you mind diving into that with us? Yeah, for sure. So it's called. Here's why it's called the ATM approach. I believe that you should treat your team like a bank account. Okay. So one of the biggest mistakes that especially new sales managers make, I I would put myself up against anybody that I made this mistake more than anybody. And I even had a boss telling me, Matt, you know that you cannot save everybody. He -hmm. must've told me that for a year and a half, two years, because think back, Paul, when you got promoted, whenever that time, that first time was, I don't know about you, but my first thought was, holy cow, I'm going to get to coach all these people. I'm going to be able to turn them into me. I'm going to be able to change their lives and do all this great stuff. Right. And then two months later, you're like, wait, what happened? Like people don't like my leadership style. People can't sell like I can. Like what, what, what happened? (laughs) Did you have a similar experience? Maybe you did. Uh, pretty similar. Pretty similar. Yeah. Wait a second. It looks, it's, it is perfect on paper. Look at this script. I mean, it's absolutely, it's amazing. If, if they say that word, right, they just need to do that more and better, you know, just like I would, you know, I, yeah, I've, I've had it. I've had the experience and 
I can tell you the, uh, the first two, first two reps that I had, uh, working with me, let's just say they struck out on their own way. And I learned some good lessons in that transition. Like it wasn't, they didn't do it like I wanted them to. They were fortunately for me, they were independent enough that they would, they would make their own path. And, uh, yep. I was lucky to have that as a learning lesson, but it wasn't like there was no retribution. They're just like, nah, you know what? I, I think I can change that. I think I could do it this way and this way and this way and get better. And so for me, that was, and I was like, holy shit, they actually can do it. Uh, that looks good. It, it was freeing, you know? You know what? And you, and you, you make a good point because I, I, I've written about this, but I had to take a step back when reps would do something that I thought was stupid. And I would tell them it was stupid. I'd be like, I would never do that or, you know, whatever. And then it actually worked. I'm like, oh, who's the idiot here? <laughs> you know? Yep. But, but going back to, to ATM, so A stands for awesome. So, so I basically break, I break your team down into five categories, okay? Mm. And then it's, a, it's an objective way to rank your team other than just looking at who's hitting your number and who's not. Because I've actually had instances where I have people hitting their number where I know they're actually in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. But they're like, oh, I'm hitting my number and, you know, I'm fine. And then I've had people that aren't hitting their number where I actually know that they're going to blow the other people away just because I know the leading indicators that it takes to be able to be successful at the job. And mm -hmm. let's be honest, they're different across every sales organization, but there's usually three to five different things you can look at. And by the way, I do include culture in the equation because I think that's an important thing. But A stands for awesome. T stands for typical, okay? Because awesome reps, there's usually probably 10 to 20% on your team. These are top performers. Mm -hmm. Typical is your typical, kind of your, your middle of the run rep. But then mess, M stands for mess. Those are the people that probably shouldn't be in the job. And We've all probably hired people that, you know, is our mistake on a hire or their mistake for taking a job or they, they just weren't in the right part of their life. But where I used to fall into problems is I just thought I could save everybody. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm spending the majority of my time with the mess, right? And then I'm sitting at home having sleepless nights wondering if I'm a good or a bad manager or not, you know, but if I just want to listen to my boss earlier and be like, Hey, you can't save everybody. Once you and the person realize that I've never had a person that I've had move on that didn't end up somewhere else. That was a better fit for them. And I think that's a hard thing to understand because we all have hearts, right? And we don't want to look at ourselves as a failure. We don't want to look at them as a failure. But one of my points around this whole thing is, Everybody gets the same opportunity to succeed. Everybody gets the same thing, but like you got to realize if somebody's a good or a bad fit. And if it's a bad fit, it's okay. We we all know not everybody's going to make it. But the ATM is just a way to objectively rank your team so you know where everybody stands and then you can see all right, who's going up, who's going down, where are they missing? Cause there's different spots. Like maybe they're not booking meetings or maybe they're not getting the proposal stage, whatever your sales process is. And then what I think is one of the most powerful parts of it is 
you can actually judge yourself seeing as what your overall score is for your team per rep into, Hey, is your coaching working or is it not? I wish I would have had that, uh, at the beginning of my career. I, I, it's one of those things I had started this, uh, SDR as a service. It was sales as a service. We did full cycle sales as a service. So we'd hire, train and manage other, uh, uh, sales reps for other organizations. It's my first company. I started with a number of partners and, um, I was the junior partner that was also the the operational one. So I ran the sales teams. I set up the the playbooks. I ran the sales teams, managed a, just about every engagement that we had. So at, at one point, one given point, right, I'm sitting there with roughly 15, 15 different, as we scaled, you know, 15 different sales engagements that I'm managing with one to two people on it at each time. And you know, because we had to grow managers, we had to grow people. But at one point, that was me, right? And the one of the things I found that was absolutely true is that the the people that didn't, I, I had that same complex. I wanted I wanted everybody to work, and even more so because people were paying us to be their their front end for them. And so if they didn't work, there was pretty severe consequences for us. You know, in a long time, we'd we'd lose a month of revenue. We do. And so it was a long, hard lesson that we got to and that I, I learned over time, which was essentially that, right, is, is that I know, you know, we can have systems and everything. And I hate to say A, B, C, D, E, you know, players, but I'm just going to use the analogy that I have, can have systems and processes and everything that can take a, a C rep to a B plus, right? That's wonderful. A reps and then A reps are going to go to a pluses with the system but there's there was some that it just we made a bad choice and they knew they they knew then they stuck out and they felt like they stuck out and they didn't like it and the quicker that we got to that uh was kinder for them was more effective for them i could help them find a new job i could i could do a lot of other things now there was some that obviously we all have horror stories and there's some people that on the sales team that need to let go and they just it's uh, gross. It never feels good, right? And there's some bad stories, but I always find in the majority of the times that you could do that or that you recognized it soon, you had the mess and moved and you had the courage and the objective stats. And what you're talking about is objective stats and courage to be able to make that move and make that move quickly. It always worked better. I can't think of a single example that the, our client was like, anyhow, Always. And what I, what I would add is if you have this right, okay, and a big part of getting this right is you should make everything public, right? You, you should be transparent and make everything public. But if you have this right, you actually should never have to fire anybody because they know if it's a fit for them or not. So that starts mm-hmm. in the interview process. That starts in the onboarding. That starts all the way, okay? Because I think, and I've worked for places like this. I think a lot of sales reps actually sit there and wonder, am I doing a good job or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I know it happens because I talk to people that, you know, they, they don't have these things done. But like one of my favorite reps ever just wasn't good at the job. And like I helped him and I did this. He was a, he, I just everything you'd want a rep. He just was, he wasn't a good fit in it. 
you know, and he got out of it and got into sales and now he's in data and I still talk to him all the time. And it just, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no bad blood. It just wasn't, it wasn't a fit. Yeah. And, and taking that subjective and emotional to the objective and I I think it's objective and, and I think it's a servant leadership mentality, right? If I can, I can lift you so far. Yeah. Right. But that's, that's, that is, and I, and the great sales leaders that I've seen that and have been around have done that for me, which is like, I can lift you so far and I will give you the tools and I will give you the help. I can't do it for you, but I, I am, oh gosh, I'm so privileged and honored to actually be able to help lift you as far as I can, but then being able to make it objective and, and have that. So you're not consistently in the mess, but you're in. What was your top one? I really, uh, the, the, the awesome. You're in the awesome. Oh, awesome. The mess, a, a right? was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the awesome, not the mess. Uh, empowering the awesome. So it, I think that's, that's brilliant. I love the way you describe that. It's just something that, you know, sales leadership is hard. I mean, you, you, you know that. And, and the more you have ways to judge yourself and know where to spend your time and really if you're doing good or not, you know, same thing for sales reps. Like we're going to do stuff that doesn't work. I mean, that's just, by the way, you should do stuff that doesn't should, work. Yeah. You should do stuff that Amazon fails nine out of 10 times. Right. But the one time that they hit it's prime, you know, <laughs> but you got to know when to kind of adjust and pivot. But if you're not keeping track of stuff, you're just kind of flying blind. How's your, I got a question for you. How's your golf? Uh, I got two personal questions for you before we, before we wrap up. Um, how does your golf career influence that or did it? Was there any connection between, between being excellent at golf and being excellent at sales and be able to look at things? I think the biggest thing I've learned over time in both, because you think about it, you think about it with the handicap. Do you play golf? I forget. I'm a terrible golfer, but I do play. So I, I don't know if I'd call it golf though. If you think about golf, okay, there's a handicap system. Mm -hmm. and, and essentially the handicap system is just so like, heck, we could go play with Tiger Woods tomorrow and we could kind of even out the playing field because we're going to get a certain amount of strokes because our handicaps X versus handicap is X. Okay. Mm -hmm. Over time, you know, if you play golf, you know, your scores are going to be pretty steady, right? Like pretty average. Now, if you work on it, then you're probably going to get a little better and a little better and a little better. Right. Mm -hmm. But like the numbers are pretty like consistent. Like, I know if I go out and play now, I hardly play golf anymore, but I'm going to shoot somewhere between 75 and 82. Like, that's just what I'm going to, that's just what, what it's going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And in sales, you know, I know people, I don't know if they try to go this or this, but sales is a numbers game. Right. And like, if you can figure out your numbers, in the right numbers, right? And focus on the right things, not vanity and not bull crap, you know, not crap, right? That's going to mm -hmm. lie to you. They're going to be pretty steady. And then, you know, you see the, you see the sign over my, my shoulder, small wins equals big wins, which is if you can just be steady and consistent, 
you know, you're going to get a little better. You're going to get a little better. You're going to get a little better. And then one day you're going to wake up and be like, boy, how did I get there? You know, in my golf career, I was a football player and I played two years of football in college and I hurt my shoulder. My grandfather got me into golf when like I was 16. Right. And then mm-hmm. I just focused on reading magazines and getting a little better. This is before the internet, but getting a little better and getting a little better. And then I was a, a pro like, it's just like small, consistent wins over time will get you to where you want to go. But most people probably quit before they get there. I, uh, that's a great, I don't even know if that made sense. No, it's actually great (laughs) insight because I've been doing, uh, this idea of the 1% improvement, 1% marginal gains rule. It's, it's just that, that connected constant forward movement, right? Purposeful. And I like, I like sports. And I like the sports analogy because of that, because I had a friend once that we were out with his son. Uh, we were on the golf course with his son and his son was, uh, was pissed. He was just, cause he was bad, an incredibly athletic kid, good athletic kid, but he was just, he's bad and he's pissed and he's grumpy. And he's like, I should be good at this. And, uh, my, my, my friend looks at him and says, well, you shouldn't. You haven't earned the right to be good at this. That's <laughs> so great because, like, growing up, I played sport, or like played sports and competitively and all that. And I get mad. And I was a good basketball player, and mm-hmm. let's just say I didn't put the time in. You know, during the week, be home, and I'd be pissed that we lost, or you know, I missed shots or something. My dad would say the same thing. He's like, "You don't, you don't even deserve to be mad. Why are you yeah. mad?" It was great. And I think, but I think that that continual journey, right? I think there we live in a shit work. People are downloading this podcast and are listening to us have this conversation wherever in the world they want to download it at a moment's notice, right? We live in a convenience world, but there's there is no one of the things I truly love about sales is there's another another one of my the best reps I've ever had in my life. He's just he's phenomenal. He started out so bad. Started out so bad. But it was that one percent, and and he'll tell you he was terrible. And he he bought this book, I think, by um, man was it Patino, but essentially it was talent is overrated. And so he bought yep. it and he looked at it, and it's just it was about the benefits of just actually getting better every single every single day, and the amazing gains that that made. So, and he's he's a tremendous rep now as one of the I I absolutely love working with this man. Um, I really, I really believe on the sales side, everything's so hard. You know, sales is hard. I mean, mm-hmm. let's, and if it's, and by the way, if it's easy, if you're selling a lot right now and it's easy and you're making all sorts of money, they're probably going to change the comp plan on you and then they're going to make it hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, but like, if you just don't pay attention to what you're doing on a daily basis, right. And just doing the little things each day, you'll win. But if all you do is look at the end game, you're just going to get getting frustrated and wanting to quit. That's great. That is great advice. And thank you. That's a really good. And the second question I was actually going to ask you was the big wins, uh, the small wins equals big wins. So uh, I love your, your posts on that, but I think that that lesson is a really big one. Do you mind sharing? Yeah. yeah so um, it doesn't come from a good story, but my brother died two years ago. And he, he was my younger brother. 
And he lived in Cleveland. He was actually a traveling medical salesman. So he was always in the car. Mm-hmm. And we talked pretty much every day because I would get up. He's two, three hours ahead of me, depending upon what time of year it is. And, you know, he's in the car. I usually take a walk in the morning and talked about how bad Cleveland sports are pretty much <laughs> most of the time. Hey, come on. We had Bernie. We had Bernie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the old <laughs> franchise. <laughs> and uh, he ended oh, up. Oh, my camera away. screwed up. Anyhow, that's oh, all right. That's all right. Um, he, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. And when his wife was cleaning out of his car, she found a post-it note right below kind of the radio, like the dash. And she actually thinks it's probably the last thing that he wrote, which was small wins equals big wins. And he never mentioned it to me, you know. And she posted that. She was cleaning out his car, posted that in our family group chat. And, like, the more I thought about it, like, small wins equals big wins. It's pretty much everything in life. You know, and a lot of my, you know, we talked about my ATM approach, but I have a six step process for sales managers to follow. Pretty pretty much every step has to do with starting small, right? And and just getting, you know, small wins equals big wins in the end. So that's kind of, that's where that comes to. So not a great story, but, you know, I try to try to carry that on as much as I can. Well, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a tragic one, but it is a, I would say it is a great one just cause it's, you, it's that you're stepping forward with it every moment and that honors that absolutely honors. Them. So, yeah. well, Hey, I, uh, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you being on the pod. This has been awesome. Thank you on, on my behalf and especially all the listeners behalf. Uh, how do people get in contact with you, Matt? Best, best way is LinkedIn. Um, so just go to my LinkedIn profile page. And then uh, I, I, do, I do do TikTok as well, but uh, LinkedIn is the best way. My website is Matt, D is in David, Ferguson.com. Awesome. Well, Matt Ferguson, uh, the founder of MDF Coaching and Consulting, the pioneer of the ATM approach and the six-step method, and uh, has a mission for absolutely serving and helping people as they transition into sales leadership. I can't thank you enough and have have a great day. With that, we're signing off. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much for listening to the art and science of complex sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough is enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. 
And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering, and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.
All right. We're cutting the first half of the podcast here at this point. The conversation with Jaka was fantastic and continues, and we'll keep on going in the next episode where Jaka will get into critical information on where SaaS and SaaS sales are going. This includes his discussion of the eras of scalability, sustainability, and durability. Talk with you soon.